Happy Mother's Day. So I'm assuming that this group is ready to do whatever meal plans there are. Hopefully it's not mom having to make all the, all the food. Uh, but uh, I know that in our case, you know, it's inevitable somebody's making it, so one of the moms will. But uh, this is a special day. And uh, the text we're going to be in today is going to come right off of what I believe a mother's heart reflects well. And that's the consideration of, a, of an always hopeful, always persevering heart that a mom has for their kid, even when they are choosing to run away from God. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15 uh, at this time. And uh, we're going to look at the parable of the lost son. Now, many of you are very familiar with the prodigal story, uh, but often we miss out on what the context of it is. And so in this particular story, uh, in Luke 15, 1, uh, it just simply says there were tax collectors and sinners who were gathering around to hear Jesus, and then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to mumble and grumble and say, he's only hanging out and welcoming sinners and eating with them. You know, there is that attitude and spirit that these priests, these leaders, the teachers of the day, they had an idea of God that wasn't accurate. They assumed because they're the, this righteous group that's part of the inner circle of God, that they would think that anybody that would behave like a tax collector, anybody that would behave like a Gentile, Anybody that would behave like a prostitute, uh, there, there's no way that even if they were to be remorseful, that God would ever welcome them into his circle. So they had an understanding of God that was flawed. So what happens then when God goes off on poor theology? Well, Luke chapter 15 is that example. And, he, and, and Jesus shares three different stories to correct their theology, their understanding of God. The first story is about the lost sheep. And in that case, there was a group of 99 sheep that were safe, that were part of uh, the fold, that the shepherd knew was his, but there was one that was still lost that he pursued. Now, aren't you glad that God wasn't satisfied with the number of those who were within the church 100 years ago? It says that God is not slow in coming because he wants more to be a part of his family. So by his own patience and perseverance and his pursuance, we're fortunate enough in the year 2022 to be in a time when God is still gathering lost sheep into his house. That's the heart of God, always collecting more and more. And none of them came into the fold perfect. In fact, all of us came in deeply flawed. But then you get the next parable, which is the lost coin. And this is a case where he, there's a doubling down of God saying that, you know, here it was 10 coins that were owned by somebody who didn't have much money. And then one is lost. And they would turn the whole house upside down in order to find that one single coin. That's the value that God places on each one of us. When we're not, when we're lost, is that he will go to great ends, even turning the house upside down to pursue the one who is lost. But then there's the lost son story. Again, correcting theology uh, of these spiritual leaders at the time. This one really gets personal because he starts talking about a familial experience that's quite common. But he brings into it, this is a way to understand the heart of God. So let's begin by reading then in, in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he did, he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Let me pause there before continuing the story. Many of us grew up in the church. Many of us 
grew up in that church, grew up in great households that taught us everything we needed to know about God and God's heart. And yet in spite of that, many of us ran from God and ran from the truth and wisdom that our families provided. Can you relate? There are seasons of our life. Some of us may have been a prodigal son for just a small window of time. For some, it was a long period of time. Many of you would say, I have a son or a daughter right now that has for years been running away from God. How is this possible? We've raised our kids. In many cases, we have multiple children, and we raise them the same, but yet one pursues God and the other one runs from God. What's at the root of this? What happens? Well, there's this striking reality that each child, each person has their own will. And I think that there are roots to this journey away from God that I think is found in our culture in a prevalent manner. And that when you look at this, he was impatient. He wanted his inheritance now. It's something to ask a living father for your share of the estate. Think about how impatient that is. But that want it now attitude is common in us, is it not? We, we get impatient. Even as adults, there are things that we just want now. And we'll reorder our lives to make it happen. Sometimes at the cost of wisdom. But for those of us that, are, that might have had a season of journeying away from God, it was often this spirit of wanting something that you did not have. And the appeal of it being strong enough that you're willing to get rid of that which was whole around you. That which was safe. Also rooted in the, the, the journey away from God is this lack of trust of others. A lack of trusting the wisdom. A lack of trusting the guidance that has been provided by our parents or the scriptures and God himself. We begin to start trusting our own perspective. Our own heart to a fault. We want it now. And we'll begin to act upon it because we trust ourselves. We'll ignore the advice of a good friend. We'll ignore the advice of a brother. We'll ignore the advice of a sister or a mother or a father. So the one it now, the no trust of others. And thirdly, the pleasure-driven nature of our culture. I mean, isn't it true that we make a lot of our decisions by the level of pleasure it might provide us? We often find that when we invite people to join us in something, a night like, hey, do you want to go out to dinner with us or you want to go hang out with us? They might be like, yeah, I'll think about it. And really what they're saying is, I'll wait till I can see if there's a better offer. Feel me? It's very common. But the whole point of this is because our number one value in our culture is to be happy. And the best way to be happy is to find the most pleasure. So we make our decisions by what, that which provides pleasure. And we throw wisdom and caution and even close loving relationships to the wind if something seems to be more fun somewhere else. But we know what happens. We've seen from life, and now we're going to even see it in Scripture, that that kind of value system that you want it now, the no trusting of others, and that pleasure-driven nature can lead to our downfall. So let's continue on in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to, the, to a citizen of that country who sent, for him to, who sent him to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. A person 
that is following those values of wanting it now, the idea of that I, I'm going to just throw any wisdom or guidance giving to, given to me away, and then just about seeking pleasure, does not account for, for things that might come that are storms or hardships. They presume on the future, thinking that nothing is going to harm them or cause them to be in trouble. It's always about the moment. What happens this this particular son is that they withdraw, again, from the, the coverage of the parents. They go out and spend all this wild living, and then a famine comes, and they have no protection from it. They're vulnerable to the storms of life. It gets so bad, it goes from bad to worse, that even he took, not only did he take a job that would be humbling and humiliating for a Jew to feed pigs, but his humiliation led to such desperation that he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. It's when we get this humiliated and we become this desperate that we begin to think, maybe what my parents were teaching me Maybe what I learned at church, maybe what I learned about God actually is more valuable than I gave it credit for. We begin to look back and see that. And so then you are faced with a dilemma. Do you go back to that place where you knew you were safe but then have to deal with the shame of all the decisions you made? Or do you stay where you're at? Well, when you're desperate... You'll go where you know you can find help. So let's look at what happens to this son in verse 20. So he got up and he went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because it was safe, he was safe and is sound. The older brother came, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes has come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, let's talk about this re-entry back into the thing. He shows up out of full desperation, but with a shame-filled, fearful posture. I mean, he was fearful because he didn't know what the response would be. But he was shame-filled because he knew he had made a great, a, an egregious error. He had squandered his father's property and the inheritance. The father of God here in this moment, again, keep in mind the context is he's helping these, these uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law, the priests and pastors of the day, to make sure that they understand God for who he truly is. And this, kind, this God that they had mistaken that would hold the shame over such a son is actually a God that is merciful, receives the son with mercy and joy. Not only does he receive with mercy and joy, but he restores full status of sonship. And on top of that, he throws a party in celebration of his return. But then the brother struggles to forgive. To appreciate the struggle of the brother. Keep in mind that in that point in time, in that culture, in that era of time, 
that when a father, a patriarch, passes away, it is the older brother that inherits everything and then disperses that inheritance to the rest of the family. So by this younger brother choosing to take the inheritance before the father has passed was a, a total disregard to his brother. It said he didn't trust him, didn't care for him, and did not want to have him in charge of his portion of the inheritance. So, of course, this brother would struggle with resentment. Of course, there would be comparison. Look, this brother did this. I've done this. Of course, there would be envy of the attention he received. And then feel the need to give all of his credits that he has done to earn his father's favor. I think this is where most of us often fail the prodigal. Because not all of us are siblings to a prodigal, but many of us are close friends to a prodigal. We get caught up with what they've done wrong. Maybe the hurts and harms they gave towards us. Because maybe we were the not-so-fun option. In this case, the brother was completely insulted. Had every reason to feel resentment. When prodigals go the way of their journey, it's often the siblings that pay a significant price. Think about it. When mom and dad sees one of their children going the wrong path, where do their eyes turn? Their eyes turn to the prodigal. They invest in trying to bring that prodigal back, sometimes at the cost of the one who's in a good place. So in that case, of course, you might feel those things. But look at what the father does at the end of this. He speaks to the older brother in the same level of mercy he offers the younger brother. He responds to him, asking him to come in, but saying and affirming him for all the things he had done, but also saying, but I must celebrate even your brother because he is now alive once dead. So he appeals to the brother's heart and then invites him to celebrate with him. We don't know from the parable of this story whether that, at that appeal, whether or not the brother goes in. But once again, the father's heart's on display. To both brothers, he welcomes the prodigal with mercy. He confronts the older brother's anger and resentment with mercy, bringing the two together to celebrate that which had been lost. For many of us here in this room, we have prodigals in our life that we've been praying for. For some of you, it's a friend that you've been long praying for that you used to do Bible studies with or you went to church with, and now they've completely rejected God. For some of you, that might be a sibling. Others of you, it's your son or daughter. For some of you, it's you. You're only here because it's Mother's Day. And you know that your mom would appreciate you being here. And you have to know that if that's the case, she's praying for you right now. So if you're getting rich in the seat, just know what's going on next to you. But to share a little bit more and, and to understand this journey of the heart of God, this morning we're going to hear a testimony of a young man that I've had the privilege of journeying with who also left this path. Would you please welcome to stage Phil and Lisa True, uh, dear friends of, of mine, would you please welcome me? So one of the interesting things about our journey and our story is that when I was at Hershey Evangelical Free Church uh, back in the 90s, uh, I was a junior high pastor and Phil and his sister were in the youth ministry there. And, uh, and so I knew Phil as a, as a junior hire, and he currently works at uh, Refreshing Mountain Camp, and I had once taken him to Refreshing Mountain Camp uh, as a junior high student, and we had some odd annual traditions, and one of those was celebrating uh, man entrance into manhood, and, and he had his first armpit hair, <laughs> and was showing it off with great delight, and we're all looking, and then somebody's like, I see it, I see it. And so we celebrated your entrance into manhood, and now you work there, of I all know, things. Yeah, 
I, I think I found it the other day, actually. <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, he, he was going, they lived in Mechanicsburg, but going across the river. And then I became a youth pastor in the, on the West Shore. And he and his family started coming to West Shore Free Church. So I was his senior high pastor. And then he becomes an adult, grows some facial hair, and uh, brings his wife along, moves to Lancaster County and discovers I'm here. And so now he's here at this church. I'm his senior pastor. So I can't get rid of him. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, I, and he can't get rid of me. So we're kind of stuck together. Uh, so, Phil, we know each other's story extremely well. Um, and so why don't you begin to share, like, just... Again, the background. Help us to know your family, your upbringing, and so on. Yeah, love to. Um, yeah, I was raised in a Jesus-centered home. So um, my dad graduated from seminary, uh, worked at a Christian college. Um, my mom was always a prayer warrior, uh, a nurse, so she served those around her all the time, um, out in the home and outside of the home. Um, my sister, uh, she was uh, my second mother um, and loved me with tenacity as well, though I didn't see it that way at the time. Um, I was homeschooled through the fifth grade, so that explains a lot to you. Um, and then I went back to public school in sixth grade. Um, and, and honestly, um, I am so thankful to the Lord that my family, there was never a moment that I was in an event or I was at a concert or a soccer game or anything of mine that my parents missed. They, they were there. Um, and so I grew up in a very loving household. Um, my parents loved God, truly loved us, and they sacrificed a lot of life's pleasures for us. Um, they included us into their life, even with things that they would struggle with. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was just a, a safe space. Um, I also grew up in a very spiritually aware home, which yeah. you know well. Um, and so my dad uh, had counseled a lot of people with um, spiritual oppression and in some cases possession. Um, so Ephesians 6, we just finished that. Um, that was very, extremely real to us and our family as far as attacks but also as far as deliverance from the Lord. Um, his power and might was made perfect uh, in those times. And so that was, that was very uh, real to us. Um, but my parents cultivated a culture in our home of prayer, scripture study, um, talking to us after church uh, to find out what that, what that looked like um, and what we had learned. Um, and uh, they just, they, they, they walked with us through that. Um, as Tony mentioned, uh, Hershey, uh, I, I became a Christian. Uh, I accepted Christ when I was um, seven, but I really came to know who Christ was when I was 12. I was actually taking communion, and the elements were, were given out, and uh, the bread or the, the blood uh, was given. And as right before I was about to take that, I really felt the Lord reminding me or showing me in that moment that his blood covers all the things that I tried to be and it couldn't be. His blood covers the ugliness of my sin and has restored that relationship to be with him. And so in that moment, that's where I really felt like I, I was convicted in my heart and converted. Um, and then when I was... Uh, uh, junior, going into my junior year of high school, we went down to Harvey Cedars. Um, there were a few stories from that week that we'll leave out, but um, it James five sixteen says, "Prayer, confess to one another your sins." That prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, and uh, that was very true. We there were a, a bunch of us guys that confessed, like we struggled with porn, and um, and. There were guys in that room that I was like, what? No. They're like, they're like the Michael Jordans of, of Christians. There's no way. They're the Kobe Bryants. There you go. For maybe some of you, or they're the LeBron James. I'm not a basketball guy, so I'm trying to relate to the younger crowd in here. <laughs> um, so, the, the, like, that was just huge. It was breaking. And that night, we had our, our time of worship, and it was incredible how 
the Holy Spirit moved. I, I just laid down before him all these things that I was really keeping um, to myself. And I saw him move in a way that I'd never seen him move before in my life. And, and frankly, I don't know that I've ever seen him that powerfully in my life since. Um, it was a moment where, you know, like the, the uh, apostles prayed that they would receive more portion of the Holy Spirit. It was serious. <laughs> it was, so that was, that was an incredible experience. But honestly, that didn't leave. That stayed with me for the next year. And you baptized me, Tony, um, and got to be on the front row for that. And you really got to be a large part of that, too. Yeah, so I, I remember um, during that year taking Philip to the local Wendy's near his you house. You just called me Philip. Yes, I did. Oh. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was very formal, okay. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I took you to Wendy's, and we just were talking through things of the Lord and speaking into your life a little bit. Uh, things were going well. Yeah. But then I started getting whispers uh, from people mm -hmm. that you were making some decisions that were unwise, and it became very concerning. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you just tell us what began to happen in you that caused you to begin to walk away, even after a powerful experience like what you just said? Yeah. Um, it, I, I put it as, as senior year, I, I started prostituting myself to the world. I... I searched for things to find fulfillment in things of the world that would meet desire. So I believed a lie that the world had more to offer than what I was already experiencing with Christ. And um, it was a gradual but slippery slope. Uh, led to substance abuse, uh, sexual immorality, uh, material possessions, lust for adventure, uh, anything that the world had to offer, truly I was seeking it for fulfillment. And um, it was temporary. I kept coming up short, but um, I kept going through that. And that lasted through college. Um, and at the core of it, it was selfishness. It just grew greater in my heart. Um, and so that selfishness uh, was a point of pride um, in the things that I had experienced. And over time, that grew greater. Um, and so it... it made an idol, honestly, out of all those things. And then um, this led to me reading God's word to fit my lifestyle mm. instead of me filtering God's word and then my lifestyle being changed because of it. Um, and it's by God's grace, he, along that way, put people in my life that truly cared for me. I... Um, I, I was placed, I got kicked out of the college that my dad was working at at the time. And that's a whole story. Um, but I went to another Christian college and my roommate was so on fire and caring for the Lord um, and caring for my heart that I had conversations with him. Um, my family, just like I mentioned with, with my, my experience of getting kicked out of school, they surrounded me, they cared for me, um, and they tried to push me back to Christ. Um, and then, we'll talk about later, Lisa came into my life, um, and uh, that's been truly sanctifying. <laughs> and she's pushed me towards the Lord in that. And, um, but throughout this whole time, keep in mind, like, I'm reading God's word, I'm praying, I'm going to church, like, I'm doing all the things that I think are good. And, um, but I was fitting it to make my lifestyle the way I wanted it to be. Yeah. So you hit rock bottom. <clears throat> and uh, what do you think, as you look back, caused you to begin to look back towards God and come straight and real back towards him? Mm. Yeah. Um, I, so I stayed out in Colorado after graduation. Um, I, I was staying there to be with a girl, and it's Colorado, so I wanted to live there, um, and uh, I wanted to work there. Um, I found out some really painful and hurtful things, and uh, with this relationship um, with this girl that uh, did not work out, um, so I was really low, um, and then I couldn't find a job. <laughs> I was looking everywhere. I was trying everything. I couldn't find a job. And so I sought the things that I thought would bring me relief um, and that would bring, ease my pain, but 
they didn't. Um, they were still the same patterns that I had sought for a few years. And um, so the things of the world betrayed me, and I found myself uh, before the Lord. And um, I don't even know how I got here, um, but the book of Joshua was what showed me God is faithful. Um, he is the faithful one. And the story of Joshua showing that he's mighty to save, mm -hmm. um, that, that wrecked me, literally wrecked me. Um, so I thought, hey, what now? You know, so I, I call my mom. She, she gets on a plane, flies out to Denver, meets me. We get it in, in my car, and we start to drive home. And, uh, and uh, yeah, can I tell, uh, yeah, go through that? It. Yeah, we'll transition to the next one. But there's, um, she, she told me the story. She had this thumbnail that was just beat up. It was, uh, we don't know what actually ever happened to it, but she, she said every time, it was just, she despised it and was disgusted with it all the time. Every time she felt it and looked down at it. And at one point, she felt like the Lord was saying, hey, anytime you look at your thumbnail or you feel it, pray for your son. So she did. And that was a lot of times. Think how many times you feel your nails and you look at them. She, so she prayed a lot. And what I didn't know, um, well, so then she felt like once that healed, that it was a, an assurance from the Lord that he would restore me and heal me. Um, well, what I didn't know, she told me this on the car ride, all of this, and then said, a week ago, my nail healed. And then you called. Hmm. So at this point in time, this is where you and I were not connected. Because you're, when you got kicked out of the first school uh, that you were a part of, that your dad worked at, um, before you went off to Colorado, I met with you again at that Wendy's. Yes. I pleaded for you to, to turn, repent, because I saw that it was going to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. And then everything you just said happens in between. I don't see you for mm -hmm. quite some time. Uh, about five years is what I uh, suspect. But uh, you start turning back to God. And this is where Lisa comes into the story. Because uh, I did not know Lisa until you guys showed up later at LAFC. So Lisa, what would you share, like as you observe the pursuit of God over Phil's life and what you see in Phil's life that would be helpful to the story to understand. Sure. So um, <clears throat> when I originally met Phil, the one thing that drew me to him was his heart and his ability to serve well. Um, so in this time of transition, early marriage, um, we had, or I had seen a change in his heart posture uh, from inward, um, what, do you, what, what are you going to do for me, to a, a posture of how can I pour into you or pour into them. Um, so that was a, a huge change uh, that I saw over the course of at least the first five years of our marriage. Um, he was actively seeking uh, the word with me. Um, we made it a, a point daily to connect in that regard, not only for himself, but us together jointly in our marriage. Um, he was also engaging and pursuing counsel with godly men and women um, in our lives that, and marriages that um, pointed him to Christ, people that encouraged him and supported him, um, gave accountability. And in that same regard, we both became accountable to each other and having that open conversation um, and checking in with one another of where our heart was at and where the Lord was you know, showing us how we, we needed him daily. Um, one thing that we had initially seen was the power of prayer and the pivotal people, those godly men and saints that prayed on our behalf, on Phil's behalf for him to come to him. And the Lord came running, you know, and we just, we've been so grateful and impactful of that time and we're, yeah, that was, that was something that showed us the, you know, God's love for us. Um, yeah, I think it's as much as the looking back in hindsight, uh, there was definitely struggle 
and there was definitely hard conversations, but to know that I can, we can look back together in joy amidst that refinement process and seeing the Lord and how he unified, unified us together with him has been the greatest blessing. So the first day I met you, Lisa, was when the two of you showed up here at LESC. And uh, I'd heard that you guys got married. And, uh, and so you show up here, and I'm preaching and didn't even know you were here. And I see you in the crowd, and I, it was nearly a game stopper. And I had to try to, like, get through because, like, as far as I knew, you were not in a good place yet. And so I did not know uh, what was going on. But uh, we ended up on a day of prayer together that week. And, uh, and then now it's been several years of you being here, watching you grow. How would you describe the restoration now uh, and the growth over the last few years? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's by God's grace. It's tender. Um, he's tender. He's merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You know, Psalm 86, 15, like, that's who God is. And so he's been gracious and faithful in that. Um, and it's been difficult, too, at times. Uh, I've had to weed out the, the false um, truth, uh, the lies that I had preached to myself daily <laughs> for quite some time. And so there, there are those things that pop up. Um, but by God's grace, he's placed least into my life to... To, to really push me towards Christ. Her prayers are so powerful um, to me um, and encouraging uh, words. Um, we have something written on a ring that says, in him, in love. Um, and it's true. Outside of him, we're out of love for one another. And, um, and we've, we've clung to that. Um, but uh, LEFC has been a huge peace in that. Um, this is our extended family. This is our oikos, just to plug that, right? Um, this is, it's by God's grace, he's brought people into our life. Um, Ephesians, we were just in this, right? So Ephesians 4, 15, uh, I think Tom Daly spoke on this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. That is the church, and that is what we've experienced. We've experienced that with relationships, people coming alongside us, you know, taking me on days of prayer to, to disciple and to show me this is what it looks like to, to engage God in this way. Um, Matt Sawada has taken many hours out of his life to uh, pour into me um, and lots of breakfast that lit its family cupboard. Um, <laughs> um, we've got amazing teachers here um, and pastors. Uh, we, we, we experience scripture every Sunday um, and, uh, and we, we get that from up here, but we also get that in our ABFs. And so that is a powerful thing um, that has that has lovingly and caringly taken me towards Christ more, um, and and honestly, our ABF roots and our life group, man, they are so close to us. Um, they care for us. We not only pour into their lives, but they pour back. So it's life giving in that way, um, and we get to truly be accountable and transparent with each other, um, and so that is just. Honestly, a huge blessing in our life um, that we can never be, uh, never give up. Um, and one last thing too is mobilization team. Um, you know, I was invited by uh, Nick to join that, and now we have a a wonderful group of people that are teaching me, and God is showing me His heart for the nations. And and uh, that's our that's our hope that that all of us here in this room and and all of that would see God's heart for the nations as we get to see those stories firsthand with global awesome. partners. So, uh, just a glimpse of what you get to see every <laughs> week. So, so uh, in this parable, there are three primary groupings, if you will, that refl that we can attach to. Mm. Uh, so there's the prodigal themselves. Mm. There is the sibling, the brother or the friend that's close to the prodigal, and then there's the parents. Mm. 
Why, you, you have a word for each of them. Why don't you just go ahead and speak that together? Yeah, so siblings and friends. Um, church, patiently endure. Keep praying and fight the spiritual battle. God is at work. Be assured of that. Um, it's not your burden to be their savior, um, but pray that your eyes would be opened to how God is at work in their life and you can come alongside him in ministry. That's freeing, right? We don't have to be that, that savior. Um, my sister is a prime example of that. Kristen loved me and cared for me. She would write me notes. She, would, uh, she came out to Colorado to help me move and that was super difficult, but she loved and cared for me and was gracious to me um, and celebrated when I came home. Um, she truly celebrated. Um, so celebrate, celebrate that return. Um, parents, church, keep patiently enduring praying and fighting that spiritual battle. Um, God is at work. Same message. Keep getting on your knees. Um, don't blame yourself. Uh, rest in the sovereignty and the care of our loving God. For those he's called to himself, he will not let go. That's something that we can rest in with faith. Um, so be encouraged. Um, continue to tend the garden God has given you, meaning Continue to love, right? Love your child. That love never departs, but continue to do the hard work um, and rely on the Lord in that. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Your child will recognize the love that comes from a heart of mercy and grace. Um, it, may be, it may not be right away that they recognize that, but they will. Um, they will. So keep patiently enduring in those ways. Um, and to the prodigal that is on their way, to the prodigal that is um, out there, um, the world will leave you hungry and destitute. But know you are loved. You are deeply loved. Even when you turn to other things, you are still loved your loving heavenly father fully satisfies. He's wanting, or I'm sorry, he's, uh, he fully satisfies. He's waiting with loving patience. He's watching with eager anticipation. He's with you and is ready to celebrate your return. So having said that, we're gonna pray uh, to close this time and Phil's gonna pray first and I'm gonna close because we recognize that while we might want to will for somebody to turn back to God, we can't. That's in the hands of God and that individual's response to God. And uh, so we're going to take it to prayer now as we pray over this congregation. Yes. Father God, you are gracious and merciful. You're loving. You're abounding in steadfast love. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. You are just, you're pure, you're holy. Lord, all these things are who you are. God, because you are sovereign, we can rest in your faithfulness. <laughs> we can rest in you searching for the lost coin, for the lost sheep, for that prodigal that's returning, Father. We can rest that you will call those home to yourself. So, Father, would you, um, I, I don't know everyone in this room and all their struggles, but you do. Would you minister to their hearts and to their minds, reminding them that through your son Jesus, you have created a way and that you are merciful, abounding in steadfast love. Lord, encourage your saints today. Encourage them through your Holy Spirit's work in their heart. And Lord, I know that there are burdens here in this room, even as we're praying. Names and faces are coming to our minds. I have family members I want to see come back to Jesus. I have friends I want to see come back to Jesus. Um, I can even recall my own story, you know, the, the abbreviated season where I wasn't walking with Jesus and just thinking how 
gracious you were in sending people my way to care. So, Lord, I just ask that you would give strength and perseverance in our prayers. And then, Lord, fill us with an abundance of grace so that we can be merciful when we interact with those who maybe have hurt us, who've harmed us, uh, who've infuriated us by their life's decisions for all that its impact upon us, but that we'll treat with mercy when they might come with shame or remorse, that we won't rub their nose in their former decisions, but rather celebrate them willingly, openly, that we'll capture the Father's heart and having rescued that one sheep. So Lord, move in these situations that are burdened. Help us to see traction in their lives. May those prodigals find misery and running from God and find that there's light when they look back and see where Jesus was in their life and then draw back to that light. So we pray for that repentance and that turn. Show your mercy and grace and your sovereignty, Lord. Help us when we're weak to know that you are strong. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'd like to invite you to stay seated and meditate on the words of this song as we sing. This is called My Story. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my
But when justice was served and when mercy wins of the kindness of Jesus And this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. One more time, sing it out. And this is my song. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This being my Savior all the day. So many of you here are coming from a perspective as a parent. We have a ministry, a gathering of parents that's called Hope for the Hurting Parent uh, that does gather here at LAFC. If you are interested in gathering with other parents to pray for children, to find encouragement together, uh, just reach out to our office at office at lafc.net asking for information about Hope for a Hurting Parent. Also, we will have people in the encounter room that will be glad to pray with you here this morning. Uh, I'll be up front. But I want to also offer a unique opportunity. The True family are all here this morning, and they've made themselves available that if you are struggling uh, over a situation that seems to be going long and, it, and there's a lack of hope and you just need some encouragement and hopeful prayer, uh, they would be glad to pray with you. So, Trues, if you could just put your hands up. They're standing over here. Uh, they'll be glad to join you in praying uh, for your child or friend. The key thing is knowing who God is, right? Because this was all about correcting bad theology. The, theolo the correct theology is this. God cares about the sinner. He cares about the sinner. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And so there is not an ability by any of us to out his grace and mercy when we humble ourselves coming back to him. So for the prodigal, there is still hope because we have a merciful and gracious Father God. Amen? Go and enjoy this Mother's Day, appreciating their heart, their love, knowing that that's a great reflection of our Father God. You're dismissed. <laughs>